got me. Oh, there we go. Loud and clear. Hate to break up the fellowship, but it is time to dive into God's Word. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Everyone excited to be here? Yeah, awesome. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake Mudgerzo. I'm the pastoral intern here at the Transit Church, and we are going to be walking through our study in Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, Pastor Nick took us through uh, the end of 4 and the first two verses of chapter 5. And uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, we are going to be looking at what Paul is calling the church to in this passage. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, and I'm going to warn you, um, it's a heavy text. It's a heavy message. As I was prepping and praying, you know I love to crack some jokes. I love to laugh. I wanted an icebreaker, and I got nothing, church. I got nothing for you. So that's the joke. We're laughing, which is good. Oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, so if you're taking notes, top of the page, our sermon title for this morning is Live in the Light. Live in the Light. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. You can turn there now. I will be reading through the ESV. And if you remember, as we're, uh, if you're new here, we have, as transit, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for two years now. Uh, we've been going through for a while, and it's been amazing. The pace we're going at has been awesome. It's been refreshing to me and uh, life-changing in many ways. Um, so I'm very thankful for the book of Ephesians. We're going to be continuing that study in uh, chapter 5. But what we've seen over the last couple months is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Ephesus of showing who we once were and now where we are through Christ Jesus dying on the cross for us. He talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self of who we are. We are made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Amen? That is who we are. So Paul keeps going back and forth of put off the old self. Don't go back to the old self. Put on the new Today we have a little bit of that theme as well, dark versus light. We were once darkness, but now we are light. Our identity is walking in the light. That is the message. And last week Nick was talking about what we import, we export, which goes beautifully for the message today of what we're allowing in. Are we, are we holding hands with any darkness? Are we allowing some darkness in? Because for the light of Christ to shine, we have to import Jesus, not darkness. Does that make sense? We have to import Jesus not darkness, not this world. Um, so the three points we will look at, if you're taking notes, the first one is the overt darkness in the church. That's what we're going to look at, the overt darkness in the church. Point two, the subtle darkness in the church. And three, the commission to expose the darkness. The commission to expose the darkness Turn to Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. We're going to read the text now. It should be up on the screen. Beautiful. Thank you. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all the hope we have been given. Everything we have been given is from you, Father. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, that is new every morning. So as we go through your word, Lord, uh, and the heaviness of what is laid before us in this text, we know that there's no condemnation, but there's mercy that you offer today to us who are walking in darkness or have partnered in darkness. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, you would clear our eyes to see Jesus, that all of our love, our affection, if not already on Jesus, would turn back to Jesus, away from this world, away from darkness, and into marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to get out of the way. Let you be magnified and get your glory this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord. Wash us with your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point number one, the overt darkness in the church. So during the time of this letter being written to Ephesus, uh, Gnostics believed that you could commit bodily sins without damage to the soul. And as we've studied through Ephesians in the last couple months, we know the culture of what's going on in Ephesus, right? We know that they worship the goddess Artemis, and I won't go into detail. I know there are children here. I'm going to try to keep it as PG as possible today. The, what happened in this culture was very graphic and sensual, okay? And what the church was surrounded by was this darkness where sexual immorality was not only normalized, but it was celebrated and politicized. Completely different from what we're walking through right now. And what I want, I, I believe the Lord wants us to see It's just how applicable his word is today as it is for the church in Ephesus when it was written. God's word stands forever. We will not change it or adjust it so we feel comfortable. His word stands forever, and we will honor him and his word. So the culture of what we are in right now, up against, is very similar to what Paul is talking about what the church of Ephesus is experiencing. And it's not just on the outside of the church. It's seeping into the church a little bit. And that also is happening today. And things got even more uncomfortable. And good news, I have hope. It's, this won't be as uncomfortable. It's going to get a little worse, but it will get better. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you there is a light at the end of this message. Just bear with me, okay? This is heavy. And I, I believe personally, side note, As studying this text, praying through it, I believe it would be wrong of me not to talk about this issue. I feel it's an important thing we have to address. This has to be exposed. And uh, hopefully it will be God's word exposing it, and I will get out of the way. And you may ask, well, that's pretty extreme, Jake. You're telling me everything is the same back then of what they were doing? Let's look at the text, verse 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
the word here, uh, and I told you we're going to get more uncomfortable, the word here for sexual immorality is porneia. And you can figure out what word we derive from that. And that word for sexual immorality covers every bit of sexual immorality, not just one thing here, one thing there, every form of sexual immorality, okay? And what Paul is saying must not even be named among us, unfortunately, is named among us. And I'm going to share some stats real quick that are very uncomfortable. It's from a study in 2021, so let it be, Lord, that these numbers aren't as bad. Um, But the adult industry, uh, the revenue, is more than the NBA, MLB, and NFL combined. And before myself and, and we point the finger at the culture outside, I have one more rough stat to share, and I will stop with the stats. 64% of church-going men view it on a regular basis, and 15% of Christian women. Now, I know this is not the textbook way to start a sermon. Trust me. I didn't want to do this, but I believe we we have to talk about this. This is the clear sexual immorality that was up against the church and and has been bleeding in. And what Paul is saying must not be named among us. It is among us. Statistically, it's among us. And things may manifest differently from when this letter was written in the church and this, what this sin looks like in the culture and in the church. But the root is still the same. The problem still exists. You can look at the first line of scripture here. And I, we're going to slowly kind of work through the text. And some of the words I believe we should kind of unpack a little bit to, to get us to the end message here. Uh, the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, covetousness is in that line. The definition is a strong wish to have something, especially something that belongs to someone else. So sexual immorality and covetousness, I believe, are, are linked. That's why Paul is talking about this, because we are either uh, unhappy with what God has given us or unhappy with what he hasn't given us. So we want something that God hasn't given us, and we go, and, and go after it to grab it. But God has not given it to us. Covetousness is very much linked to that. But there's something in the next line, verse 4, that I want you to notice. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So when I was going through this text, I'm like, thanksgiving, that's, yeah, of course, but what, like, why is he pairing that with those first two lines? And I believe that thanksgiving is the tool that Paul is offering for the church to utilize to combat coveting. Because when our eyes are focused on Jesus, we're, we're focused on our Father in heaven and what he has given us, what he has blessed us with, and we concentrate on what he's robbed us and give him thanks and praise and worship him, our eyes are not turning to other things. But we start to get in trouble when we start to turn our eyes off of Jesus and on to things of this world, whether it's Instagram, somebody, I'm eating my oatmeal in the morning and somebody has some amazing breakfast and I'm, I'm envying, I'm coveting that breakfast. I don't have social media, but that used to happen. That's a true story. <clears throat> that does happen. So coveting draws us away from the gifts our loving Father in heaven has given. And, and he goes into crude joking. And crude joking, what happens is we diminish the gift that God has given us of the design of sexual intimacy within the frame of marriage between a man and a woman. It is a beautiful, precious gift. Amen? But we diminish it, and we are to have a high, holy view of intimacy within marriage. 
but when we joke, we degrade and cheapen that gift that the Father has given us. I was at a conference about a little over a year ago, and a Christian conference, you know, standard issue, Christian conference, worship, then, you know, sermon, message, whatever, and it was in Pennsylvania. I went with a couple other brothers in Christ, and I was talking with them in the diner before we went to the conference, and I'm saying, man, there are like two shows, only two shows that my wife Sam and I can watch because everything else is so graphic and just horrible, like we can't watch it, but there are two shows that are, you know, mild. Um, and, and I'm quoting with these other brothers in Christ some of the things that we had just watched that week, and it was pretty funny. And we were laughing, and we're like, yeah, everything's fine. We go to the conference. The main speaker's talking, and he shares this story that he believes the Lord was calling him to clean up what he was importing, what he was watching, okay? And I'm like, all ears, like, all right, well, let's see what, where this goes. And... Uh, the Lord reveals two shows that he's watching that he believes the Lord wants him to stop watching. And immediately he starts to kind of justifying his mind. He's like, that's the same thing as I was saying. It's not, you know, graphic. It's, you know, mild. Lord, like, come on. Um, but he said, he believes the Lord said this, and I believe it. The Lord said, you are laughing at what my son had to die for. You are laughing at what my son had to die for. Wow. Um, and then he's, every, the whole crowd, I think somebody shouted out, like, where are the shows? And he's like, you want to know? Um, and he says the two shows, and they are the exact same two shows. Two hours before, I was quoting in the diner. And everyone in the row with me, my, my bros, everyone slowly starts turning their head at me. And my mouth is, my jaw's on the floor. But it's like a light bulb went off. Because I thought I was fine, but I was sitting in darkness. And the light of Christ shone on that and revealed that this is actually what I'm watching is not okay. But I didn't realize it. I needed the light of Christ to shine on that and reveal the filth that actually was there in in those two shows. I'm not going to share those two shows, by the way. (laughs) Uh, You come up and talk to me after the service. We, We can have a little conversation. But... So we see sexual immorality is the massive theme, right, in in this text of what Paul is saying. But there are some more subtle things and just as dangerous seeping into the church. And I think this is getting close to the heart of the matter of why we turn back to darkness, okay? Point number two, the subtle darkness in the church. Look at verse five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Disclaimer, Paul is not saying to children of light, us, with our kingdom inheritance, that you can lose your salvation by participating in these sins, okay? He says that clearly, Romans 8, 38, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, amen? What he's doing and what he has been doing through Ephesians is showing our old self and our new self. Unbeliever, believer. That how the darkness of where we once were and the light we're in right now, they shouldn't mix. They're not compatible, okay? The actions of our old selves are not compatible with the new self. That's what he's saying here. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Um, sorry, I'm wrestling with something. I'll share it in a little bit. Um, 
No, you know, I am going to share this. Sorry, guys. I'm wrestling up here, but I'm going to share this. So a little further in text, we've already read, partnering with them. He's not saying don't ever talk to them. Okay? Of course he's saying, understandably so, don't join in their sin. That's a standard kind of thing. Don't participate in that sin. It's forbidden. But as I was looking through the text and praying, and and, uh, the Lord really wrecked me in in a good way with this of, when we, as children of Christ, and the inheritance we have through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, dying for our sins, we, with our inheritance, children of light, come alongside those who biblically we see that are on a path to wrath. We put our arm around them and celebrate and encourage their behavior and where they are headed and saying, it's okay. That is not okay. Do we understand how harsh and unloving that is? Is We love the person, but... Just like Nick said a couple weeks ago, of we're called to love our neighbor, not make them feel loved. We are called to love our neighbor, not make them feel loved. So when we, as children with all the hope in the world, come alongside people who are in darkness and celebrate those actions, that is so unloving and harsh. Now we can move on. And I, I want to go into, because idolatry is named here, we looked at covetousness, we're going to look at idolatry real quick, and it's interesting that Paul links uh, covetousness with two idolatry in this verse that we just read. Tim Keller's definition of an idol, you can throw it up if it, oh, look at that, beautiful, I don't even have to say it. It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And we can ask the question, how can I tell if my desires are actually idolatry? Like, this seems a little extreme. Sure, it is. I, I, we're going to go through, uh, there's an article through Desiring God called, called Discerning Idolatry in Desire. And I, this really helped me this week and really convicted me in many ways of some things in my life that are set too high. And we're just going to read through them, okay? Everyone go with that? First one. Enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is forbidden by God. For example, adultery and fornication and stealing and lying are forbidden by God. Some people sometimes feel that these are pleasurable or else would not do them. No one sins out of duty, but such pleasure is a sign of idolatry. Number two, enjoyment is becoming idolatry when it does not see in God's gift that God himself is more to be desired than the gift. If the gift is not awakening a sense that God the giver is better than the gift, It is becoming an idol. This could be a material item. This could be a spouse, significant other. I know many times in my life, spouse was elevated above God, and that's not okay. That's what biblically we see is not okay. Number three, enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it draws us away from our duties. When we find ourselves spending time pursuing an enjoyment, knowing that other things or people should be getting our attention, we are moving into idolatry. And this could be our our jobs. I know everyone's super busy around here, but moving beyond that of working so much more than you have to and it's pulling you away from your family, your job could be an idol in your life. The last one, enjoyment is becoming idolatrous when it is not working a deeper capacity for holy delight. We are sinners still. It is idolatrous to be content with sin, so we desire transformation. Some enjoyments shrink our capacities of holy joy, Others enlarge them. 
Some go either way, depending on how we think about them. When we don't care, listen, when we don't care if an enjoyment is making us more holy, we are moving into idolatry. So we can ask ourselves these questions of things in our lives. It's between you and the Lord, but if there's anything in your life, we can ask this question of, is this drawing me closer to the Father? Is this expanding my capacity for for holiness, so we're called to live a holy life walking in light? Or is it shrinking it? And that's between you and the Father. But these are questions we can ask. And as we move on, right after that verse on covetousness being idolatry, Paul gives a major warning to the church. Verses 6 and 7. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. I've already kind of touched on that a little bit. The deception laid before us is, oh, God's fine with this. It's okay. What I'm doing, no one knows. It's okay. And we've already addressed that we can't be separated from the love of Christ. We can't lose our salvation. But what I'm saying is, biblically speaking, we know that we will be held accountable for our actions. There is a responsibility of of us to put off the old self. That's an action. That's not just be, exist. There's an action with it. Put off the old self. Don't go back to the old self. Walk in the new self. Walk in the light of Christ. Don't go back to the old self. God is a just judge. You will not be mocked. Everything that is in darkness will be brought to light at some point in time. And it boils down to this question. Who or what do we love most? Who or what do we love most? When we think personally, don't shout it out, but when we think of that, who do I love? What do I love most? Is God the first thing that comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Because when we love someone, we don't want to hurt them. We remember last week in Ephesians 4.30 about grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has feelings. We can actually uh, grieve him. If he didn't have feelings, if he was like a robot T-1000 Arnold Schwarzenegger, it wouldn't say we could grieve him. But our actions hurt him. And, And if we truly love someone, we don't want to hurt them, right? We truly love someone, we don't want to hurt them. And also, we know that we don't want to be separated from them if we're in love with them. And we know that sin separates us from fellowship with Jesus. So we can see sin for what it is and trying to separate us from the love of Christ. So we can't say this sin isn't a big deal because we know, we know biblically it, it is. It is. And if you're hearing this and thinking, goodness gracious, Jake, like this is just super heavy with no hope. Uh, I don't really know what you're telling me to do necessarily. Hopefully that's not the case, but go along with it for the outline's sake. Uh, if this is you, don't worry, there's, there's hope. And I, I, I've made you all feel probably very uncomfortable at times. I'm going to make myself feel very uncomfortable, and we're even, okay? There is hope for you if you feel like you've tried everything, but there, you just don't know how to truly stay in the light. And I'm not, before I show this, I'm not saying I'm walking perfection in any way, but what Jesus has done, he is perfection. Uh, so for over about 10 years, I struggled with an addiction that I couldn't really shake. I was a follower of the Lord, and I had every kind of accountability group with other brothers in Christ. I had every kind of system in place. I'm a systems guy, like, you know, everything's structured, ordered. The problem was, I didn't need a system, I needed a savior. I didn't need a system. I needed a savior. 
I put all my weight in this system, and don't get me wrong, we need accountability. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to come around us. That's biblical. I'm not saying that. But all of our hope and strength is in Jesus. Jesus, not a system. And so I'm walking through this time in my life. It was about a little over four years ago. And I go to a ministry out in Maryland for prayer. It's pretty much the same prayer ministry we have here at Transit called Restoration Prayer. If you haven't come, please, we'd love to pray for you. But I went there to this prayer session, just me and two other people, brother and sister in Christ, and I confessed my sins to, to them and kind of explained what's going on. And all they did was lay their hands on me and pray for me. After about an hour, hour and a half of prayer, my life was forever changed. Forever changed. Everything I had tried in my own strength never broke me out of that power of that addiction, but the name of Jesus did. The name of Jesus did. I I can't tell you specifically what in the world happened in that prayer meeting, but I know that I encountered Jesus. I know that I encountered Jesus because he is the one who sets the captive free, and he is the only one who has brought true freedom in my life. It's the name of Jesus. All of our hope is in the name of Jesus and what he can do when his light shines on darkness, okay? And I'm not saying temptation doesn't come back. That's not biblical. But what the Lord did in that meeting forever changed my life. And the most important thing that happened was once I left that meeting, I was so in love with Jesus. I mean, I was on cloud nine. I've never felt a love for Jesus Christ like that in my entire life. The Holy Spirit did was, one, I I truly believe this and know by its fruit what happened, that the power of that addiction was broken off of me in that meeting through the name of Jesus. Not through this brother and sister in Christ, through Jesus, okay? But the beautiful thing is my affections, my heart, my love was turned to Jesus. And all I wanted to do was just spend time with him, honor him, serve him. I didn't want to hurt him. And it was so much easier to walk in freedom and not do things that we're supposed to not do when our affections and love is on Jesus Christ. It's like, thinking about it, if you're married and you're, when you were dating, men, when you're dating your spouse, I'm sure all of you, hopefully, uh, before your girlfriend at the time comes over, you're like doing things you've never done before, cleaning the bathroom, uh, cleaning the kitchen, like scrubbing on the floor, cleaning everything up. Because you, you, and things that used to be a burden of cleaning and tidying was an absolute joy because of the one you were going to spend time with. There was such a joy in service. There was such a joy in what was to come because the one I love is coming to spend time with me. And I don't want to do anything to disrupt that time. I want to make that time perfect. But sin separates us from that, that time. And I went way off my notes, so give me a second here to figure out where I'm at. <laughs> So no matter what side you land on with this, whether you don't think your sin is a big deal or you know very well what you've been walking through and how far you've strayed, the solution is being in love with Jesus and, of course, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. I'm not just saying, just go love Jesus. I am saying that, but completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. What happens is our darkness needs to be revealed to show our absolute dependence on Jesus That's what happens when the light of Christ shines. We see our brokenness and our tendency to wander back into darkness, to wander back into our old self, and we desperately need Jesus. 
we can move on to the final point. Um, actually, on schedule, that's pretty good. Point three, the commission to expose the darkness. We see in verse eight, we are called children of light. God has assigned us a new identity, and with that assignment comes a commission, okay? Look at verses 11 through 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. So, so far in the text we see Paul show the really uh, open and a big theme of uh, sexual immorality as, as sin, but then shows kind of the more subtle sins that are creeping into the church, where our affections are, idolatry, coveting, those things that are just as dangerous and pulling us back into to darkness. And from there, he transitions into a commission for us to be the light to others, exposing the darkness and showing the light of Christ. This commission was even given in the Old Testament. I mean, you look at Isaiah 42. I, I love, I love as, as you've heard me preach before, I love going back to the Old Testament and then just seeing Jesus step on the stage and say, yeah, that's me. Love it. God's word is beautiful. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon from the prison, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Now this is the Old Testament, way before Jesus comes on the scene in the flesh, right? Then we go to Luke 4, Jesus is on the scene in the flesh. He's rejected in Nazareth, right? He's, we're going to look at what Jesus chooses to read in the synagogue to the people. He reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the mission of Jesus. And if you read a little further in Luke, Jesus says, I am that light. I am that light. I am the one who can set the captives free. When my light shines, this is what happens. Isn't that amazing? The light of Christ. John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is a, a, a call, I believe, for why we are to be going out on these prayer walks, to be sharing the light of Christ with this assignment as children of light, to shine the light of Christ. And we see the fruit that comes when Christ's light shines on someone because we first were in darkness. As the scripture says, we first were in darkness, but the light of Christ shone on us and we are children of light. So we first have received the goodness and it's supposed to go out because why wouldn't we want it to go out? When we see what the light of Christ does in someone's life, how can we keep that to ourselves. It is about the kingdom of God breaking through, the kingdom of light invading the darkness. Because if the kingdom of light didn't invade the darkness, all of us here would still be in darkness. The power in Jesus and the light 
of Christ going out, invading the darkness, setting, a captive, setting the captives free, healings coming. You see this in, in Acts. Uh, I've shared this in previous sermons of Saul on the road to Damascus, now Apostle Paul. Jesus and the light of Christ shining on the Apostle Paul. And what happens? He's blinded by the light of Christ, and wherever he goes after that moment, the light of Christ shines, and we see what happens when the light of Christ shines. Fruit is produced. Darkness is sent running. Salvation comes. Healing comes. This is the name of Jesus. This is the name that we put all of our hope in. This is the light of Christ who needs to come and invade darkness. But first, I want to say this. First, has to, we have to look at ourselves because we can so easily point the finger at the culture around us of the darkness of certain movements or darkness of the sin of the world, yet we are, are partnering with darkness in ways. What is dark is made visible. What is visible is light. We're going to have a prayer walk this afternoon. And we get the opportunity to just go share and tell what Jesus has done in our lives. It's just, it's an opportunity. And we have to fight, and I have to fight, because every time I go out to share my testimony or share the gospel, I have a lot of fear. I'll be real with you. I have a lot of fear to do that. But we have to fight the urge of self-preservation and the fear of man because it's not about our comfort. It's about the comforter coming to comfort those who are sitting in captivity and darkness. It's not about our comfort. It's about the comforter coming to set the captive free. And, and if you're like me of fighting that fear of uh, not really wanting to be that kind of crazy Jesus guy, like him and I are cool, but like I'm also cool. You know, like I'm not super weird. Um, and I felt really convicted as I studied the text because so many times in my life of the workplace, an event, whatever, of not trying to be that guy, what we're doing is actively trying to dim the light of Christ. We're trying to work against Jesus, and what we see scripturally, when the light of Christ shines, the fruit that comes through that light. Why would we work against that? Why would I work against that so many times in my life? As me being on the receiving end of that light shining, bringing me out of darkness, yet I just don't want to shine that light on anyone else. We desperately need the light of Christ. Our affections have to change. My affections have to change. I'll be real with you. I, I pray that none of this sermon is coming across as condemnation, okay? Friday night, I was weeping over this of just, just my affections changing a little bit towards Jesus where I was doing everything out of love for Jesus, but not in love with Jesus. Do you catch the difference? I was doing things out of love, but not in love with Jesus. And it goes back to the dating analogy of how everything, what life looks like when you're in love. And we can have that. And, and there's a, for me, a repenting and turning and idols being knocked down and God being put in his right place of over everything. His name is above all names. His kingdom is above all other kingdoms. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord and his light will shine. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Band, you can come on up. You want to give us time to, to respond and worship our Lord. So if you're here this morning, there's no condemnation but an invitation to walk in the light. Whether you've given your life to Jesus 
or never given your life to Jesus, or you, you've been following the Lord, but you feel like you've been kind of partnering with darkness a little bit, there's an invitation this morning, not condemnation, to walk in the light, to come before Jesus, the light of the world, and surrender all and turn back the affections onto Jesus, our mighty King and Lord and Savior. So there's a prayer team that's going to be up here after the service. If any bit of this message resonates with you, or maybe you don't even know what you want prayer for, but just want prayer, come forward for prayer. We would love to pray for you. My life has been drastically changed by a brother and sister in Christ praying for me. Please come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray for you. And we're going to take a moment to respond with communion. Um, Of course, I don't have the communion elements, but uh, I'm going to let you just take it on your own time. I want you to have a conversation with the Father this morning of where have I partnered with darkness? and Where are you calling me into marvelous light? Would you shine your light, Jesus, on my life? I want to be close to you. I want to be in love with you. I want my affections to be for you and you alone. And everything else falls into place when our eyes are set on Jesus, our risen King. So just a chance for us to respond this morning as we take communion. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then you can take that as you feel led. Father, we thank you for your great mercy towards us, your compassion as we are so prone to wander, yet you rejoice when we come back to you that there's an invitation a feast set for us upon our return back to the father's presence that you aren't pointing your finger in condemnation and judgment you are opening your arms and receiving the one that is lost so i pray holy spirit that you would come and search us search our hearts Would we leave here on fire for you, Jesus, in love with you, Jesus? Would you turn our affections to you and you alone? And may we shine the light of your son, Father, because we know in that light what fruit is produced, what walking in the light of Christ feels like. Nothing compares to the presence of Jesus Christ and walking in his light, and we get the opportunity to go out and advance your kingdom, not our kingdom, your kingdom, the kingdom of light. May your kingdom come, Father. May your kingdom come and invade darkness today. But starting with me, Father, starting with us this morning, would you rid us of darkness and where we are partnering with the kingdom of darkness. So we surrender this morning to you fully. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name, Jesus.